Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Dig Deep with Reggie, episode number one, the podcast where I interview inspiring people and they share their personal life stories beyond the surface. My first guest is part of my starting five, my older sister, Janita Shepard. Janita is a strong, beautiful, and driven soul. She has a blended family, a 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, her husband, and her stepson, who's 14. We also can't forget their dog, Banjo, and their guinea pig, Coco. Janita is the department head of the nursing program at Vancouver Community College. Prior to that, she was a registered nurse and a nursing instructor. On her spare time, she loves to cook, clean, and paint. During this interview, we will discuss various things such as hardships, marriage, raising children, and how to balance a busy life. Due to COVID-19, this interview will be through Zoom. Please bear with me if the sound quality isn't perfect. I'm a work in progress. One of the questions that women always ask my sister is how does she always look so flawless while doing a million things? Well, let's find out and get right into it. Enjoy. So let's start with, um, you know, what's your daily routine, including your skincare? Well, I have to say that, and thank you for that. I mean, I mean, I might, I guess my phone just must take great pictures so that people may think that my life is all put together and I look great all the time, but I don't know if that's always the case. However, on weekdays, um, I am a morning person, so I do like to get up between 5.30 and 6. Mm-hmm. And I have a gym downstairs um, in my home, so I like to work out mm-hmm. in order to work up a sweat before my shower uh, while watching global TV news for the latest news stories and the weather forecast. Nice. Um, after that, I usually come upstairs to cool down, make the kids lunches, then I get ready, and then I drive the, my kids to school. Mm-hmm. Um, with teens, the morning drive is the only time I really have a captive audience in the car to right. share any news stories that may catch their interest and other sort of tidbits. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say the dialogue is usually only one way, but secretly I know that they really appreciate it. Right. Um, as far as my skincare, um, you know, I'm pretty much obsessed with my skincare only because I went through a period of my life, probably Mm -hmm. when I was going through a lot of stress and transition where I didn't have the best skin and that really... I guess it scared me. And Mm -hmm. so I've really been obsessive about my skincare ever since. So Mm -hmm. I have to say it involves a lots of moisturizer and sunscreen pretty much 12 months of the year. I am absolutely obsessed with eminence products as they're all natural and developed on a farm in Hungary. So Mm. yeah. That's awesome. Um, and as far as your workout routine, so what do you actually, what do you do in the gym? Well, I, it's, I keep it really simple only because if it was really labor intensive and, Mm -hmm. um, really lengthy, I probably wouldn't do it every day. So 
I get all my elliptical. I do 25 minutes on my elliptical. And then after that, I do some like body weight exercises, like, like a hundred squats. I do like 30 push push-ups. Mm-hmm. I do 30 sit-ups and I call it a day. Okay. That's awesome. So it takes me about 40 minutes. Okay. Uh, about an hour, actually. 40 minutes to an hour. And you usually do that how many times a week? I do it five days a week because Young and the Restless is on five days a week. So <laughs> I can go through an episode. Okay, perfect. I think that's awesome because I think that's the, when you start your day off by working out, I think it's a, it sets your tone of the day and it sets a good intention, right? Yes. And it's also really good to teach your kids to do that as well, right? So hopefully they'll pick up that habit once they, I know they're teenagers and like to sleep in. So we'll work yes. on that. Yeah. We'll work on that. Um, so just going back to, you know, what makes you get up in the morning, like what, what makes you jump out of bed and what drives you? Because I know you're professionally, you have a great career, you've worked really hard to get to that position. Um, but you know how like some people have that why in their life, like why do they get up and what motivates you, right? So what, what is that for you? Well, I have to say I've always been a morning person. Okay. And I have never, ever had to set an alarm clock. Um, mm-hmm. I get up again, like I said, between, I usually get up at about 530. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do not need an alarm clock for that. And I love getting up in the morning because I know everyone else is still asleep. And so that drives me to get up. And I can sure. have some alone time in mm-hmm. order to work out. I read I probably am the only subscriber now to the Vancouver Sun, which I still like to get in the paper format. I don't want to go online. I still like to read the paper from front to cover and have my coffee in the morning. I think that's really important. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of what drives me to get up. I I probably should have been a farmer because Mm -hmm. um, I sort of like to rise with the chickens. Okay, that's awesome. I like the fact that you have the old school paper. That's yes. huge nowadays, right? Because everyone's always all about their phone and technology. But there is something to be said about actually holding a paper in your hand and reading article. And I and I have to say, you are very savvy and up to up to the very updated with what's going on in the world, which I really admire. Actually, it's really cool. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, let's kind of dive a little deeper, um, maybe back to another question here was, you know, what was the most difficult time in your life? What was the time? You know, I have to say I've gone through a lot of really difficult times in my life, but um, I think the most difficult, challenging aspect in my life has been acknowledging that I have to learn to let my guard down. Um, I feel that I've spent my whole life building walls of protection around me from such a young age Mm -hmm. that I had to learn to feel vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And by feeling vulnerable and learning that only then I could allow myself to feel worthy of love and affection. Honestly, that I'm still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that um, counseling helps a lot with that because mm-hmm. 
nobody's perfect and I've never acknowledged that I am. And mm -hmm. I feel that I constantly need to, I think we all are products of our childhood. Right. And I think that I could, I could dig a lot deeper with that, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if we can talk a little bit more about um, the accident that you had yeah. in 95, I believe it was. Um, so for all the viewers that don't know, my sister was actually hit by a car and, um, she actually ended up being in the ICU unit for two weeks. So 14 days, um, it was a very, of course, difficult time in our whole family's life, life. And, you know, the doctors actually told us that she was not going to make it and that she's ended up being a miracle child or teenager at that age. Cause you were, how old were you at that time? Well, I was going into grade 12. I, it was November 4th, 1994. So I was 17. Mm -hmm. So you were going into your grade 12 year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'd say probably 16. So you're 16 years old. Yeah. Um, and so do you remember that accident at all? No. I think, you know, obviously my brain has, um, you know, blocked that out completely because the actual incident itself is completely blocked out. Um, mm -hmm. I have bits and pieces of when I was hospitalized. Mm -hmm. um, however, my kids asked me the other day whether God was actually... Um, a figment of our imagination or actually God was actually a presence. And I did tell them that I did have that sort of out of body experience where during my coma, I did experience where I was sitting on a park bench hmm. with somebody who is very hazy at the moment, but I, I don't recall who it is mm -hmm. and talking about that. It isn't my time to go right now. And there was a white light. So I do believe that um, there is a God and God helped me through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the time when you, you know, you're in your grade 12 year and um, you ended up being in the coma. So you had to basically learn how to walk and even talk at, at a certain time again. And you were kind of reborn in a, in a sense, um, you know, it was, it was November 4th and my birthday was actually November 6th. So I remember being there um, in ICU and, you know, it was a really scary moment for our family, of course, but I just want to focus more on the fact that you recovered so well and, you know, you had a drive in you that you were not going to give up. And um, is, is that something that you feel like you've kind of, kept going in your life like as far as your nursing career is that something that you is that why you want to become a nurse or how did that journey start for you yeah I mean before my accident I didn't want to become I didn't I wasn't interested in healthcare at all right um I like I was interested in pharmacy but I didn't think of healthcare, and mm -hmm. but when I was, you know, obviously in the position where I was being cared for by these wonderful nurses day in and day out. Um, I felt that 
I had to give back in some way. I mean, obviously I was saved for a reason. I mean, I didn't have to live. I mean, there's lots of other stories that, that you see in, in the press of similar stories with mm -hmm. my injuries, mm -hmm. um, like the Stanley Park jogger who is, you know, still, you know, pretty much a vegetable at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I, I could have been that statistic too, but, mm -hmm. but the nurses that took care of me were amazing. And I felt that I needed to give back in some way. And the only way that I could think of giving back was becoming a nurse myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, so you went off and you recovered amazingly from that accident. And then you went off to Douglas college. Um, you became a registered nurse and that's when you met uh, your first husband when you got married, right? So what age did you get married at? Your I got married at 22. Okay. And then you had your, you had your first son at? 26. 26. Okay. So you ended up, you know, having kids at an early age. Um, yeah. So when you look back, uh, one of the questions actually, what some, which, somebody had asked who nowadays a lot of people have kids at an older age, right? So a lot of, a lot of girls are having eight, uh, kids after they're, you know, 35 or plus. And one of the questions that uh, someone had asked is how does it feel to, you know, have kids that are in their teens and you're still relatively young? Like, how does that make you feel? You know, I, I think I, I think you can do it both ways and there's pluses and minuses for both ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. I think back and I just feel um, that having kids at a younger age, maybe that put me at a disadvantage when I was younger because mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of life experience behind me. Right. Um, and when I dove into being a young mother, I just sort of learned as I went along. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, now that my, my kids are older and I am relatively young still, um, I have the energy to do things with them that maybe perhaps if I was older, I wouldn't have the energy to do so. Right. Um, and balance a, um, a very, a, a, a very, like, as far as my career, it requires a lot of time and energy. So I'm able to devote that because only because my kids are at the age that they are. Right. Right. However, um, on the, on the other side, if I was older and I had children, perhaps I would more have life, more life experience mm -hmm. to, um, give to kids when they were at a younger age. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know. You only know what you've done. Right. Yeah. And, absolutely. and I really, um, I mean, yeah, my kids, yeah, I feel, I really do feel at an advantage with the kids at this age because um, there's so much that I can offer them and mm -hmm. I have the energy and drive to do that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and even being in the position that you are, like, as you moved up your, the ladder and being the head of the nursing department, now you have that, you know, your kids are older, they're able to, you know, do their own thing, and they don't need a minimal supervision. Um, of course, they need some attention, but minimal, and you're able to give that focus more on your career. So that's, that's great. Yeah, I feel that it's it's attention that's still required, but it's a different type of attention. I think every every age level and every sort of development level that kids go through, they require different types of attention. Mm-hmm. And the type of attention that they require right now is more in terms of um, driving around and driving them around to activities. Um, Uber driver. Yeah. And also proofreading work. It's not sort of getting them to do the work or, um, Mm -hmm. or teaching them how to do the work. It's proofreading and things like that, which is all sort of doable on that works around my schedule. Right. So it's actually quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if you were to look back, um, to when you're in your 20s, what type of piece, what one piece of advice would you give yourself, your 20 year old self? Um, to have fun, to travel. Yeah. I think what I didn't do in my 20s, and I tell my kids this too, right. that the decade of your 20s is your decade of exploration. I think you, I, I think you need to travel. I think I needed to move out. I needed to. Uh, work and perhaps um, get my own place and um, mm-hmm. you know that decade is really about exploration it's not about making um, lifelong decisions which obviously I made right I chose a life partner in my 20s and mm-hmm. I had children in my 20s um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think those decisions nowadays really should be made in your decade of exploration and Mm -hmm. maybe maybe in the late like maybe about 28 i always tell my kids that i would not want to hear anything about any type of engagement or prospect Mm -hmm. of getting married um if it was earlier than the age of 28. right yeah no that's great advice um so just going back to you know when you were when you were married and it didn't work out so you ended up getting a divorce um so how now there's people that are probably listening that you know are going through uh personal issues of that they're having themselves um now when you decided to get a divorce how young were your kids um when i did my daughter was um three Mm-hmm. And my son was six. Okay. And I remember you telling me because, you know, you, we kept a, you know, obviously we're sisters. So you would keep me informed with what's going on um, with you and the marriage. And I know you had said at one point that you wanted to end up, you knew you had to get a divorce when you saw your son's face and you saw the fear that was, in his eyes and you knew that you had to get yourself out of this situation. So can you tell me more about that? I think that, um, I think as, um, 
And, and this sort of goes down back to my childhood too, in the sense where as children, we don't have the, um, I mean, as, we, as children, they, they don't have the power and the, and sort of the independence to make sort of decisions that will protect their well-being and their safety. And mm-hmm. so that's really reliant on their parents. I mean, that's what we rely on our parents for, right? Our, our safety, our, for love and um, for, you know, our protection. Yeah. And I think that as, as older people, I mean, when you're in a marriage, before you have children, you can go through a marriage and, you know, go through it all. And if there's obstacles, you can always think, okay, well, tomorrow's going to be another day. And so um, this will get better, you know, tomorrow, this too shall pass. And so you keep going and honestly, years can pass by. Mm-hmm. But I think it wasn't until I became a mother that I realized that these obstacles that were presenting themselves were actually affecting the emotional well-being of my children and I had to put myself back into a place when I was a child Mm -hmm. and where I felt that my emotional well-being and my safety and protection was not Mm -hmm. um, ever considered Mm -hmm. and I thought to myself I'm not going to go down that road and so I think it wasn't very easy decision for me. Right. Um, and so that's, that's what really what drove me to decide that I needed to put an end to that. Mm-hmm. And I really admire you that admire you for that because during that time, it was about now 10 years ago and that was when Actually, so we're from um, an Indian background, so we're Punjabi, and a lot of um, girls or guys never really, or like couples never really got divorced at that time, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it wasn't really something that was happening, and a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, you can tell that they stayed in marriages just the fact because they were scared to tell their parents, Um, and I remember we had that discussion as well. And so, you know, I just want to know, like, you know, at that time, were you scared to tell mom and dad about getting, possibly getting a divorce? What were your feelings going towards, like, what were you feeling when you knew you were going to have that conversation with them? You know, I, I honestly, uh, when I thought about it, I had no fear at all. Mm-hmm. I what the vision that I had before my eyes were my children and protecting the emotional well-being of my children gave Mm -hmm. me so much power that any fear of disappointing my parents wasn't even considered. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the power of making sure that you're putting your children first and their welfare and their emotional well-being first was so paramount to me because it was something that I was never given. I mean, honestly, it wasn't even considered. And so um, it sort of became my driving force. And the fact that this was going to affect my parents at all, it Mm -hmm. wasn't even considered at all. Mm -hmm. 
And you know what? You had that courage, right, to go and tell your parents, tell our parents, and that was a beautiful thing. And I, um, and I think that you know, and just for everybody to know, our parents were very supportive um, about your decision, and ultimately they were concerned for your welfare and the kids, and you know, it all worked out. So that was great. Uh, so yeah, now moving forward um, to you getting married to um, Jason. So, you know, uh, you want to talk about that and how you met Jason and, you know, I know you guys are a blended family because Jason has a son. And uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of people want to know about how that all worked out for you. Um, well, I met Jason, I mean, honestly, after being married for almost um, 11 years and then having to face a point in my life where I was no longer a wife, mm -hmm. it, it sort of felt like, you know what, you don't really know your place in life because once you're so young and you've carved out a role in your life and that's gone, you don't realize that you sort of are left with, okay, where is my place? So mm -hmm. I honestly did feel quite lost and I wasn't sure of, I sort of had that fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. However, you know, I mean, everything in life I feel is written and um, your fate is already predetermined. So it, it was sort of fell right into my lap where one of my, my, one of my first cousins, like her husband was, you know, had a buddy who, you know, wanted to meet me. And so, mm -hmm. and so it, it went on that way. And so, and when we met, it was, it was very easy and it was, it, it went really quick, you know, it was sort of a whirlwind. Right. And I, I know people always say, um, you know, you, you, when you know you meet, you make the one, it's just, you just know, right? So it, did you feel that with Jason? Did you feel an instant connection with him? Yeah, I did. I honestly, I think that the fact that I had children and um, so when putting yourself sort of in that dating world, which was sort of foreign to me after 11 years of marriage, mm -hmm. um, obviously you're thinking, okay, well, because I have my children, I couldn't possibly be in a relationship with somebody with children. Right. I, sort of shied away from those people that had children and unfortunately um meeting people for one date or whatever that did not have children I, I i instantly knew that this wasn't going to work because it wasn't the same type of relationship i was looking for and so when I was introduced to Jason and when I met him, there was, there definitely was an instant connection mm -hmm. and, um, it sort of went full speed ahead. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like you guys instantly had your values all aligned up, which is, which is awesome. And then when you guys ended up, um, you know, having a blended family, what challenges did you see? Were you concerned about anything or any, were you, was there any risks um, that you might anticipate? I think, I think the biggest challenge um, to having, um, to getting remarried actually right. after 
being in a marriage for over a decade mm -hmm. is that, you know, you have to try to carve out a road of your own alongside a road that's already been traveled. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you know what I mean? As far as when you're young, you experience everything together with your spouse and everything that's new is new to them as well. And so everything you create those memories, but, um, creating and building new memories, but still mm -hmm. respecting the past mm -hmm. is very challenging. Right. Um, however, that's something you need to work out. Right. And mm -hmm. it does work out. Right. Because, um, meeting somebody when they're older and I mean, and I guess wiser, right. You've learned from past mistakes and you just have to trust in a new love and, um, not repeat mistakes of your past. Um, I think blending our family was surprisingly easy, perhaps because my children were so young. Right. And, um, I mean, with Marissa being three and Tyler being six and Jack being five, mm -hmm. it was sort of, it was quite easy because they all got along and they're all sort of in the same developmental phase. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, what was, um, <clears throat> was more challenging was um, being a step parent though. Right. And I mean, a step parent, being a step parent is extremely challenging because building rapport, um, trust, and looking for ways to demonstrate your love to a child that you did not give birth to mm -hmm. is not easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a process that comes naturally to you where it comes very innate. To, with me, with my children. However, um, with your stepchild, it requires, you know, a lot of patience, mutual understanding and respect. Right. Um, I think in any relationship, it, it will forever be a work in progress because reaping the rewards of it mm -hmm. is not seen as you would see it in your child. Um, because that love is unconditional. Um, this love is a, a love that you're probably going to reap the rewards of it years later, you know? Right. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, so if you were to give another woman advice on it, whether she should leave or stay because she's concerned about her kids, what would you say to her? You know, I, I think that our kids are our future. And I truly believe that if we decide to have kids, it's a huge responsibility. And I think that's the most important role that I've ever had in my life and probably will ever have. Right. And so I owe it to my kids. And so I'm the first person to say that, yes, it does affect your kids. Every mm -hmm. action, every inaction, Every quarrel, every disagreement, every um, quiet dinner, every rude remark, all mm -hmm. of that is um, 
permanently etched in your in your children's minds and and the reason i know that is because i experienced that all throughout my childhood right it, it's not fair and it and it's something that stays with you throughout your life so because mm -hmm. i experienced that i especially advocate on behalf of the fact that i think if women are experiencing that they're unhappy you only have one life to live mm -hmm. and you need to live it well and you need to live it in a way that you can role model to your children that you know you need to be happy you need to create that happiness you need to be respected mm -hmm. and um you know i do think that everything that you create um you you need to be accountable for that and so definitely i'm an advocate i mean you know there is a huge stigma around divorce so especially in our indian community because everybody is about what everybody else is going to think mm -hmm. and about saving face and about your reputation and so forth mm -hmm. but in the end of the day um you're raising your children you're creating those values you're creating all of those um memories and experiences for them it's not anybody else so you should never make decisions based upon what other people will think mm -hmm. and you have to garnish that strength in you mm -hmm. to to really realize what you need to do in order to be happy mm -hmm. and so um i encourage those people that you know i mean when you think about it i mean i think that as indian children i mean probably not so much now but um i mean in my generation for sure i mean the minute you're born pretty much you're you know constantly you know um groomed for getting married and it's like you know mm -hmm. um marriage is is one of those things that needs to be checked off and so i i think that you know what i think at the end of the day you need to be happy and i and i think your children will respect you for that mhm mm well i really admire the strength that you had to do that and i know that you're going to help a lot of people by just sharing that part of your, your life with and that's the reason why I wanted to start this podcast was to actually you know, influence people and to help them through what they're going through. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, that being said, how about co-parenting? So like with um, your first husband, how is that going with uh, co-parenting? You know, um, co-parenting, you got to remember that when you chose to have children, you chose to have children with that that person at that time mm -hmm. and um you know if things didn't work out between you and that person which obviously they did with that with me and my my children's father i mean i always vowed that we would always remain amicable and that was a decision we both made from the minute that we decide to split up and we have i mean right. 10 years later 
um, I can still say that my ex is a is an integral integrable part in our family and and, and very important right and mm -hmm. a very important piece and so I think it's really important to ensure that your children feel that they have everybody that they can count on I mean like they say it takes a village to raise a child it truly does right and you need everybody involved mm -hmm. and so when you're making a decision like that you have to remember that it's not the child's fault that the marriage ended mm -hmm. so you have to always make sure that you never portray their their father or their mother um in a negative light mm -hmm. um you know that any any quarrels or any battles between you to remain just between the two and never involve the children. Mm -hmm. um, um, I've always ensured that any special occasion, like a birthday, um, any occasion during the year, any special holiday was celebrated with everyone, including um, their father. Right. And I think it's really important for growing up that um, when we have a blended family ourselves, that the blended family involves their, you know, our, our past significant others, right? Because um, they all are included in the story of life, right? Absolutely. So now let's talk about um, the fact that your first marriage was with an Indian man and now you are with a Caucasian man. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of asking this question. They're curious to know, you know, um, what's the difference? I have to say there's not a whole lot of difference. Um, I think that when we are raised in a particular culture and we are assimilated in that culture and we hang around with people with all that culture, yeah. that, um, that's all we know. So right. That is beyond, and that culture um, is sort of the unknown. So we always think that they're different. Mm -hmm. However, um, being married to both, I can see that. I mean, I I grew up in sort of a blue collar household, and so did my Caucasian husband. And so yeah. we both grew up on hamburger helper meals, and um, you know the same type yeah. of upbringing um living in different provinces actually right mm -hmm. um and and different cultures uh we we had rules we had rituals i mean a, a faith that we believed in all of that was the same mm -hmm. um the only the only huge difference um in that i've seen is that um and again, this is deep diving too. So maybe this is something that we can talk about another time too, but it's sort mm -hmm. of the upbringing of what my husband was brought up with in the sense where um, children need to feel a lot of autonomy and a lot of self-independence. And I think our Indian boys are not raised with having to meet that standard. And mm -hmm. so um 
learning to do certain things around the house and doing certain chores and accomplishing mm-hmm. certain things isn't a top priority for our right. in- households. And so I-, I found that my husband um, now, he sort of grew up with the whole school of hard knocks where he learned everything um, from an early age and he left home quite independently at 18 years of age after high school to Mm -hmm. carve out a path for himself. And I think learning that um, after, after the age of 18 and moving out to another province and working out there, I think in some instances he said he had to work to meet to pay his rent and oftentimes he didn't even have money to do that and he would be eating like next to nothing Uh, but again it was just the whole drive of living alone and trying to make it work which Mm -hmm. um i think builds a lot of perseverance and resilience that you can't um mimic in any other way unless you know, it, it, it's, it's tough love. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's the difference is that I think our Indian parents are very reluctant to practice tough love mm-hmm. with their boys. Yeah. Whereas if they did more of that, um, they would realize that the boys would become way more resilient, be much better partners, uh, be much more respectful and, um, I don't know, just have better outcomes. Mm -hmm. I think that children need to do that. I I think that they need to spread their wings and then they need to um, experience life outside the house because I, I do provide, like as far as any other parent, I mean, my children do chores around the house, but beyond that, I mean, I cook and clean and I provide their meals and all that sort of stuff. Their job is to keep their room clean and to do sort of household chores that are mm-hmm. not, that are very minimal, right? Right. But they're not going to learn um, the way of life by living at home for the rest of their life. And I think that they need to leave the, the home nest and, they need to um, experience life outside mm-hmm. and, and learn from, from mistakes that they make, that they, um, they will stumble and fall. Mm-hmm. They will um, experience heartbreak. They need mm-hmm. to experience all that mm-hmm. because life isn't going to be all, you know, you can't have your parents protect you in every aspect. And so they need to learn that I think by age 18, after they finished high school, they do have tools that will allow them to safely, um, you know, navigate through mm-hmm. those experiences mm-hmm. and, um, you know, create a lot of learning for themselves mm-hmm. that would not normally take place if they were still living in the household. I think that's a, that's a huge mistake 
Um, you know, obviously I wouldn't, given the nature of the housing market now and all that, I wouldn't push them out if they had nowhere to go. But of course, if they did have somewhere they were planning to go, if they were going to go to school um, abroad or, or whatever, I definitely um, would advocate for that because I think it's really important to learn all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Thanks for sharing um, your whole journey and as far as you know, having kids and, you know, marriage and all that, I think people are going to really um, learn a lot from that. So let's maybe go to some lighter questions. Um, what's your favorite wine? <laughs> um, I'd have to say a J. Lore, um, okay. caps off. I really like a really dark, deep, um, kind of fat, bold red. Awesome. Okay. And okay, you're obviously somebody who watches Sex in the City. So if you were to describe who you would be, what character you'd be and and why? Doesn't everybody want to be Carrie? <laughs> That's what I thought. I, yeah, I, I yeah. think that I probably resonate most with Carrie. Yeah, absolutely. Um I was with Sandy earlier and I told her I was going to ask you that question, and yeah, we both said Carrie, so we nailed that. Um, so, like, you know what? What's next on your bucket list? I know you're, you've, you know, you're a goal-oriented person, and you have hit a lot of goals in your life, a lot of achievements, um, a lot of success. So, and there's obviously more to do, more to grow, right? So, what's your next next thing on your bucket list? You know, um, as a department head of like practical nursing program, I mean, because of COVID, um, I've had to put all of my programming online. And um, so getting the faculty all transitioned to teaching online has been a real challenge. And, but I do see that every cloud has a silver lining. So, um, meeting the success of this online teaching that we've been doing and all of the online resources that we have um, sort of secured over this short time period. I think that I can safely say that I can put a lot of my courses online. Um, therefore, like sort of maximizing my faculty. So I see a lot of really good programming changes that I'm excited to do. Okay. And they wouldn't have come about if COVID didn't happen. So, mm-hmm. um, so I really think that this has been a silver lining for me in terms of my work. Right. Um, and as far as what I want to do, um, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot that there's so much to there. There's so much. I mean, I've been doing a lot of painting and um, okay. and drawing and things like that yeah. at home since then. And, um, you know, I've been doing the block watch um, in my neighborhood. So I think that just kind of extracurricular stuff involving my children probably. I mean, I think because they're older, it, it takes a lot of creativity to involve them in 
in new sort of activities and hobbies. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, with the whole ban on traveling probably for the next two years into the States, I think it's going to be a lot of creativity using our RV and doing Canada wide trips and exploring, mm -hmm. um, other provinces that we have not been to. Yeah. That's super cool. And the last question I have for you is what do you want to be remembered for? You know, I think what I want to be remembered for is probably um, my loyalty. Mm. I think that um, I, I, th I think you probably know from, from, from how I am as a person. I mean, my best friends are all of the, the friends in my life that have been my friends since um, elementary and, and high school. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as far as my children's father, you know, I'm still very loyal to people in my life and, and people who mean something and have come into my life. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just, I just feel my loyalty is probably the one thing that people will remember me for, because I think loyalty is, um, it takes you very far. And I really honor that and I respect people who are loyal and, mm -hmm. and if I'm loyal, I want the same, uh, reciprocated to me. Mm -hmm. And, and once that loyalty is broken, then I have a really hard time getting that back. Mm -hmm. So I practice it all the time for myself. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And that's a wrap. I hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Thank you so much for being part of the Dig Deep family. And of course, thank you so much to my sister for being so open, vulnerable, and transparent about her personal experiences. We will definitely do a part two, three, and four. I love you, sis. You truly are a loyal boss, babe. Now go ahead and share this episode with someone that you love. I will leave you with this quote from Serena Williams. The success of every woman should be the inspiration to another. We should raise each other up.